the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Well, hello, everybody. It's Wine Women Radio Hour. I'm Marcia Maycumber here today with co-host Misty Rodebush-Kane and Lisa Adams-Walter. You know, I feel shortchanged, ladies. You all have three names. I only have two. <laughs> so how are, how are you two doing? Who wants to go first? Sounds like, Misty, you've been... I can go already. ahead and go first. I'm doing well today, Marcia. Thanks for checking in. Um, it's an interesting day here in the Bay Area. You know, we've we've had a few weeks of fires and the smoke is actually like it's it's pretty doomsy today. It's pretty, it, it's strange. It's almost apocalyptic out in the skies today. So it's very strange and I think it's pretty widespread for most of California today. Day two of no sun whatsoever. It's very strange. How about you, Lisa? What's it like there in Napa? Same here. Um, very strange. It looks overcast, but it's smoke. I guess because we all need to count our blessings, I'm relieved that it isn't quite as hot as it's been. And for that, I'm thankful. But I'm, I'm thinking about all the people who are still in harm's way for these fires, hoping it gets better. And hopefully we can all breathe some fresh air at some point soon. Yes, that would be really nice. Um, here in Sonoma, I'm just thankful that the air quality is keeping the smoke high. So although it's overcast and dark and kind of sepia toned, um, at least it doesn't smell that way. But that probably just means the particles are finer and finer and making their way down. But anyway, uh, we're, we're hoping for something better. In the meantime, a good way to kick that off is is with a little wine to help things going. And, and we have a special guest to taste wine with today that I'm very excited to welcome to the show because she has so much experience with food and wine pairing, among other things. Um, and, and so here's, here's our background that we're going to give. Known for her inventive take on modern soul food, as well as comfort classics, boy, and are we having those now, Tanya Holland is the executive chef and owner of Brown Sugar Kitchen in Oakland. She is also the author of the Brown Sugar Kitchen Cookbook and New Soul Cooking. She was the host and soul food expert on the television series Melting Pot. She also competed on the 15th season of Top Chef. Holland holds a bachelor's degree from the University of Virginia in Russian language, which I find very interesting and a grand diploma from the Lavarin École de Cuisine. Chef Tanya Holland, welcome to Wine Women Radio. Thank you for being with us. Ah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So Brown Sugar Kitchen, how long has Brown Sugar Kitchen been open in Oakland? I can't remember now. Twelve and a half years. Um, we were at our old location 2008 to... Uh, towards the end of 2018, opened here in downtown Oakland in the beginning of 2019. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. And of course, now, for our listeners who may not know, Brown Sugar Kitchen is open for outdoor dining, if you should wish. It's at 2295 Broadway in Oakland. Find it quickly and easily online at brownsugarkitchen.com. Don't forget, you can get takeout, you can get delivery, 
Um, orders are being taken online, so you can get this done really, really easily. Uh, you can also go online to partner, as they do, with Marketa, which provides uh, meals to nonprofits, including Harbor House, Beyond Emancipation, City Team, and Summit Hospital. So you have the option there of donating and having a dollar-for-dollar dollar donation made for helping out for those other areas that are uh, uh, nonprofits and helping out people who are having a little bit more difficulty getting themselves fed these days. So there are lots of opportunities there to kind of help out if you're looking for a way to do that right now. But you can start with outdoor dining at Brown Sugar Kitchen uh, or perhaps picking up a cookbook. <laughs> yeah, and most importantly, we should mention that Tanya has got a brand new podcast out there. You can Google it really easily by just dialing in Tanya's Table Podcast into your browser search bar. Um, it's a multidimensional integrated journey for your soul, which means it applies to everybody because we're all a little bit multidimensional and different. Um, I think one thing that's intrigued me about your podcast, Tanya, is your sense of using food to bring people together and find out more about them and how we can be more integrated and less diverse pulled apart. Um, and it's kind of our environment right now that it seems like there's more things pulling us apart than, than people trying to find ways to bring us together. And, and food is one of those things and particularly soul food. Yeah. What, what brought you to, to dig in on a podcast and what have you learned kicking off your podcast experience? Uh, well, I mean, it's something I've always enjoyed is, um, well, I love dinner party conversation. Dinner parties are my favorite form of socialization. And the it kind of feels like that kind of conversation. That's the way I'm, I guess, approaching it on the podcast. Finding the common denominators with a guest that I'm acquainted with, but I don't know everything about them. Um, so I have, you know, some questions in mind to ask them, but I really... My goal is that the that it becomes a very organic conversation and not so much an interview. Um, and I've learned that yeah, people are open to opening up. You know, it just the timing was just coincidental um, that it landed during COVID and the movement. Um, I started working on a TV treatment of this name last year, and then in the beginning of the year, I was talking to this production company, Mudhouse, about a podcast, and then the timing you know of having a captive audience everybody on lockdown uh was a little bit of an advantage because the guests were also more available than they would normally be because there's a lot of uh, notable guests uh, but then also the listeners are available um and you know the feedback i've received has been great people have said they've learned things about my guests that they didn't know and um so i just hope to keep it going because i'm i'm having fun wonderful yeah. Well, we should mention you have several very famous guests on your show, um, and, and some are in the food biz, some aren't directly yeah. in the food biz. Tell us a little bit then what you, what are some of the things you've learned and who some of these guests have been? Sure. Um, we launched with Questlove, who uh, most people know as, you know, um, 
a member of The Roots, which performs on the Jimmy Fallon show. Uh, he's, you know, he's a, quite a musician, but he's really a renaissance man. He's been a foodie for a long time, and I've done events with him. And I just, you know, I, I wanted to talk to him more. <laughs> so I to do it. Um, of course, there's some, you know, culinary luminaries, Alice Waters and Samin Nasrid and Danny Meyer. Um, there's uh, actor Jesse Tyler Ferguson, who I met at the James Beard Awards last year. And, you know, he told me he was a fan of mine, which I was like, what? You know, <laughs> so um, I thought, oh, I'll stay in touch with this guy. <laughs> and I, I like his work. And uh, same with um, a couple who have not aired yet, Gina Torres and Aisha Tyler, I know from the talk, Gina is a friend of her friends and she's been in the restaurant. Um, I interviewed some R&B performers who have Bay Area roots, Lettucey and Guapale. And we're lining up folks for next season, including um, former Warriors player Azeli, um, Festus Azeli, and hopefully, fingers crossed, um, Metallica drummer Lars Ulrich, who is a you know Bay Area resident, and we share uh, the the Meyer sound system. They have outfitted their recording studios, and I have the sound system in my restaurant, which I love. It's a game changer. So. You know, there's all these weird common denominators that people might not think of. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's what a diverse group. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I've always valued diversity and inclusion. Um, and so, you know, this is nothing new for me, but I, this is just another way for me to show, you know, to really show it. Good. Tanya, I am so impressed by your resume and I cannot believe how many places and how far, I mean, you've came, like you've, you've worked all the way from, you know, France to some of the top kitchens in New York. And then in 94 on your resume or on your, not your resume, but your bio, you also worked as a line cook under um, celebrity chef Bobby Flay. So I am super interested to find out more about who Tanya is and, you know, what inspired this unique love for culinary and why you landed in the Bay Area and, you know, how, how this all came about, because you just have such an astounding uh, background. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, my parents had this gourmet cooking club when I was growing up, and they always entertain, and they cook soup to nuts. And uh, my dad was a recruiter, a college recruiter, an MBA recruiter for Kodak, so we dined out. And, you know, I was... I was very accustomed to food and dining and hospitality, but I didn't really think of it as a career until I moved to New York City in the early 90s and I uh, started working in restaurants there. And I started taking cooking classes there and wine classes. And I ended up working in a wine shop and for a wine distributor. And I thought of going into the wine business, but as many of you know, it was all men in dark suits back then in the early 90s, you know, in sales and and I didn't even really think about winemaking. Um, and then I went to cooking school in France in Burgundy in 91. And, you know, when you have vineyards all around you, it's just it's very inspiring. <laughs> and I got to know the French uh, regional wines very well. And I always wanted to come out to the Bay Area, to, to wine country. And, you know, when I first moved out here, I thought of moving to wine country and, um, you know, I was discouraged by some colleagues. They're like, oh, no, you're, you can't go from New York City to wine country. It's going to be too jarring. <laughs> and uh, so I've been trying to make my way there. But I love that I'm so close. And I've learned so much about, 
the different uh, California regional wines. I mean, I knew some back then, actually, when I was a server at Mesa, um, Randall Graham uh, from Body June came and spoke to us. And this was 1990, I think. Um, wow. He left an indelible impression on me. Um, and I just, yeah, you know, it's one of those subjects, as you all know, you can never, I mean, can, you can't really master it. There's always so much to learn. And that's what I love about it. And also, I love what a difference it makes in, you know, the food you eat, you know, the pairings. It's just when you get a great pairing, there's nothing like it. Yum. Yeah. All good things. Uh, so, Tanya, I'm a little bit curious about um, the menu at Brown Sugar Kitchen and what you found to pair with things, because uh, I know that, that the food is kind of nouveau African-American soul food. Yeah. Uh, and I have never even attempted to pair wine with soul food. So I'd really love to hear some of your take. And perhaps we should start by um, tasting through some of the wines that we've got today and hearing your ideas on maybe what you might pair them with on your menu and your suggestions. Uh, Misty, why don't we start with the St. Superese Sauvignon Blanc? Um, right. And I should get that here. If I put it in front of me, you can actually see it a little bit with my non-green screen background. Mm -hmm. um, why don't you give us a quick intro to the Sauvignon Blanc, Misty, and then um, Tanya might be able to give us some thoughts and what she might pair with it. Yeah, no problem, Marcia. So St. Supery is 100% a state winery in the Napa Valley, and it really um, earned its reputation and foundation on producing um, Sauvignon Blanc and Cabernet Sauvignon. We do produce some additional, I, I work at St. Supery, and we do a produce, um, I'm, I'm not the one actually making the wines, but um, I work on the marketing team. But our winemaker um, grew up in the Barossa Valley of Australia. So it has a very strong um, Southern Hemisphere style, but very clearly um, different because it is made with Napa fruit. Um, so our Sauvignon Blanc is 100% Sauvignon Blanc, and it is um, stainless steel fermented, so that doesn't spend any time on oak. So it's really crisp, vibrant, and radiant. And it has a ton of citrus notes from pink grapefruit to some really zesty lime, which I hope you hope you pick up. I'm sure you can. It sort of jumps out at you. It's a fantastic wine, really versatile. Um, I do encourage listeners to, you know, grab a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc from St. Supery because it's, there's, there's nothing like it. And um, I'm interested to hear what Tanya has to recommend from a pairing perspective. This is, I mean, one of my go-to wines. It's easy on its own, but it's also really, really food friendly. Right. Yeah, it's really delicious. It's really, it has a lot of substance um, for, to me for a Sauvignon Blanc. Um, and I love, you know, stainless steel. Um, I, and I'm not a big fan of, uh, you know, new oak and, um, so bright i can really imagine it and i might get a sample so i can taste it next to it <laughs> my black eyed pea salad because uh it's made with a an oil and vinaigrette dressing but it uh has uh fresh herbs in it and peppers and i just i just feel like that one this wine with that is just like it's all going to complement especially with the zest you know just really bring out the earthiness of the peas like it'll balance it 
So I'm always looking for balance. So, you know, a lot of people aren't used to pairing wines with soul food. They don't think of, you know, they think of iced tea. And um, I, I mean, I love wine. I love pairing. So of course I found wines that I think go really well with my food. I think, uh, you know, the menu is, um, is diverse enough where you, you know, wine is so subjective. So if somebody is gravitating towards a heavy red, I have, you know, some, something on the menu that that will go with. Um, but for this kind of white, I think the black eyed pea salad and um, even some of our, our, our lightly smoked dishes, like the smoked yams, I think it would go nice. This would really balance it. Um, again, because of the citrus and the bright, it's just, I like the contrast that, that I think it would provide. Yeah, great. I mean, it's, it's definitely one of my favorites from seafood to raw oysters. I mean, it's just, it's really versatile. So it's interesting. And you brought up a great point with the black eyed peas. Like I, my husband is, is from Texas. So, you know, he follows some of those Southern traditions and it it's almost seems like every, every new year's we're, we're pulling out our black eyed peas, but it really, and they're delicious, but it is um, something that you can think of more on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, we serve them every day and we serve them um, room temperature and they're, you know, they're cooked so that they, you know, they mush, they're tender, but they're not like really broken down. So they don't get that like sort of real, um, you know, kind of dirt flavor. It's, yeah, it's the earthiness. The, the pea has a natural earthiness, but it's a little bit brighter. And um, it's a, yeah, it's a great little side dish. I'll, uh, I'll get some and I'll show it to you. <laughs> um, I was... Also, I felt like I was thinking of something else when you said that, but um, yeah, this is delicious. Mm. Marsha, Lisa, any comments from you? I don't know if you've tried this wine in a while. I, I just always love this wine. I think it's just a classic, you know, very nice signature wine of St. Superi. So I'm, I'm, I haven't had it for a while. I think we had the dollar. The, the dollar high. We had the dollar yeah, high. we had that the last time that we tasted it. So Thanks for showing. It's very bright, very um, energetic. I felt, you know, like light coming out of it. So, and I needed that on this day, this kind of gloomy day, as we talked about before. Um, I wanted to um, ask you, Tanya, when Missy asked you about working in the kitchens and you said you, you did that under, you know, different chefs, some celebrity chefs, such as Bobby Flay, which is, you know, exciting to see. Um, some of what we focus on here on Wine Women Radio Hour is advancing women's careers and the roadblocks and different challenges that women face in the wine industry, as you mentioned when you thought about it originally. But I think there's some similarities probably in the culinary and restaurant industry as well. So how have you done what you've done? As Missy said, your background is so diverse. And how did you do all this in this amount of time and, and keep on keeping on? And I'm sure it took, you know, a lot of maybe extra work. Yeah. Um, oh, I remember the other, before I get answer that question, the other dish mm -hmm. I think this would go well with is our fried oyster po' boy. Ooh. I think it would be amazing with that. Yeah. Um. So we'll test that out for you. Oh, great. I'll have to, we'll have to make a special trip down to your restaurant. Exactly. A field, a field trip. <laughs> well, I'm actually working on also uh, acquiring a food trailer so that I can come uh, pop up in the, uh, in the, in the different uh, valleys in Napa and Sonoma and Mendocino 
So I will keep you guys posted. Brown Sugar Kitchen yes. on the road. <laughs> yes, do. And the wineries. Wow. Um, so, you know, I just, I've always been very ambitious and I've just persevered and I've seen, you know, it is very discouraging at times because you're like, wait a second, you know, I have more credentials or, you know, I work just as hard or, you know, as that person, usually a male, right? But um, I just keep believing that it's going to happen, that I'm going to break through. I mean, not that I've not had moments of just like where I'm just ready to throw in the towel. I'm very discouraged. But um, I just try to stay open to new opportunities that I may not have considered, which is why I've worked in so many different uh, aspects of the business. Um, you know, sort of if, if I'm getting too much resistance from one direction, I'll just, you know, I've been pivoting for years, <laughs> which is why, you know, when COVID happened and the movement, it didn't unravel me like I think a lot of people because I've already experienced um, so much adversity and challenges. Um, I just, you know, I know that nothing is forever, you know, things will always change and just try to, you know, think of a solution. Um, for, you know, for a situation and then keep talking to as many people as I can, you know, and letting them know what I want to accomplish. And eventually somebody will come through offering, you know, some help or, you know, assistance or direction like, oh, you should talk to so-and-so. And it's all about building the relationships over the course of your career, right? Just like, and then yeah, keeping those relationships going because you never know when you're going to cross paths again or somebody's going to hear of an opportunity and then you're going to be on the front of their mind because, you know, you've, you've, uh, you've been in touch with them. So that's it generally. I always trying to learn too. I mean, it's, you know, there's always more to learn. Read as much as I can with, uh, about the industry, within the industry, um, I'm not a big joiner, but I'm part of a couple organizations, like and um, now, you know, with the James Beard Foundation, I've been working with them for the past five years with the, um, the chef's boot camps and, um, yeah, just trying to, again, build those networks. Nice. That's great. Fantastic. And I've lived in a lot of cities. So <laughs> I've moved a lot for opportunity. I've been in the Bay Area longer than even where I grew up. Uh, so this is the longest I've stayed anywhere in 19 years. But um, when you move, I, you know, for opportunity and, you know, establish yourself in different cities. So I have a, a, a vast network of, you know, folks because of that, too. Makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah and that is great. To piggyback on Lisa's question and your answer, Tanya, um, I wanted to mention, you know, Wine Women has a similar mission to Brown Sugar Kitchen. Wine Women uh, champions women in the wine industry, wants to help them accelerate their careers and move forward. And I know that when you founded Brown Sugar Kitchen, you stated that part of what you wanted to do was to help women out um, to give them more opportunities because you felt like that was not something that you necessarily had enough of and saw enough opportunities for women. Can you talk a little bit about the Brown Sugar Kitchen assistance to women and your focus on that? Well, I mean, because I am, you know, the owner and the leader, I have an opportunity to select who works with me. Um, and so, you know, I just try to lead by example mostly, but 
you know, unlike some of the things I experienced where knowledge was withheld from me or, or, or just not presented, opportunities weren't presented, I try to give my staff um, as many opportunities as possible to learn from me. I'm just like, I'm an open book, ask me any questions. And, you know, I'll bring in some colleagues that have more expertise than I do in fields like, um, you know, um, service training and even, you know, even wine because, you know, I can't keep up with everything. So, um, and sometimes it's nice when they see an outside party, you know, presenting and they can learn from someone else too. Um, and then, you know, the ones who have left, I mean, there's several that I've welcomed back or, you know, uh, I have access to um, like Playdom Discofier um, provides scholarships um, through our legacy program, our national program. And so I'll let them know about that. If I'm doing events, um, bring people along. It's, for me, it's all about exposure with any kind of um, education to empower people. You just have to expose people to the opportunity and hopefully they'll grasp onto it and, and want to um, take advantage of it. Um, so that's mostly how I'm doing it now. I would love to eventually have some kind of foundation or program that was, you know, um, a little bit more formalized. Wonderful. Yeah. That's, yeah, great. that's great. Really great. All right. I think we should, I think we should drink a toast to that <laughs> and uh, to move it along a little bit more smoothly. Let's uh, a toast along with the little rosé we've got here. Uh, this is the Mathis Rosé de Grenache, the 2019 vintage, the current one. Um, I will say, yes, indeed, uh, this is a client of mine. Uh, I, I am not an employee, but um, I do get paid for a little bit of assistance there to uh, provide full disclosure. Um, Peter Mathis was the head winemaker at Ravenswood for more than 20 years. This is his personal pet project. He's got a little over seven acres in Sonoma Valley, and it is planted as a field blend uh, to Grenache, Carian, uh, Petit Sarah and uh, a little, uh, what have I left out here? I know I've left out something. Well, obviously the Grenache, but this is the bulk of it. And his Rosé de Grenache comes directly from uh, two blocks that are specific for making direct pressed Rosé de Grenache. Uh, he's already picked for this year for his Rosé. Uh, and he particularly likes the Provencal style. So um, I'll leave it at that for my end of the description and see what you guys think. And if Tanya's got an idea what, where that fits in with soul food. <laughs> well, I got really excited um, when I received this bottle. Yes, because Grenache is one of my favorite grape varietals. I love um, Provencal rosés. You know, that's kind of my weak spot. So um, I'm just tasting it now, still absorbing it. I'll let you know what I think. <laughs> Sounds Maybe good. Anybody, or... else, anybody else who's had this, I, I know you two have had previous vintages. Anything particular stand out to you this year? Well, what I love about this wine, Marsha, I mean, I, I love how it, it is so so light and refreshing and in that typical um, Pro Provence style. But what I also love is when it arrives, it arrives without a capsule. So you almost feel like you're receiving this really special um, sample bottle from a winemaker. So I think, I thought that that was a really fun 
um, the presentation. And I, I noticed that they don't do that with all of their wines, but it was was a fun a fun idea. Oh, good. And yeah. I love the the just the rich. I mean, it really satisfies your palate. It could be enjoyed on like the hottest of summer days, but then also on, you know, pretty much in any day, rosé all day is what, and rosé all year long is what the thing is nowadays. So um, I really do love, love this wine and I love how punching and um, satisfying it is. It leaves me wanting more. Yeah, it, it sparks your palate and it doesn't, it makes you want some, want more, want something else. And it makes you want to taste different things. I would agree with that. All right. To me, it's just, you know, uh, summer strawberries. It's kind yeah, of strawberries. Of that. So uh, any, any inspiring ideas, Tanya, in terms of where you go, oh, I know what I would put this with? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind to me is, you know, something off the grill, grill or barbecue. Um, I think it's got enough structure to really, you know, stand up to red meat or uh, salmon, especially would be great, grilled or smoked. It's really, yeah. really nice. Yeah. One of my favorite culinary um, tricks that I picked up from our estate chef was um, grilling strawberries. So almost like grilled strawberry salsa with some basil and a little bit on a, on a really nice barbecued salmon is one of my, my favorites. That sounds good. I'm going to show you guys my, my uh, chef made me a little sample plate just so you can oh, kind sweet. of see. Um, so this is just, Ooh. this is our black eyed pea salad and there's um, jalapenos and some macerated red onions and roasted red peppers. So it's really light. These are our collard greens. Interesting. So all three of these dishes, all three of these are vegan. Um, the collard greens are sauteed with olive oil, garlic, and a little bit of Tabasco. And then our yams are smoked and then blended with a little bit of um, uh, cocoa butter. So raw cocoa butter and, um, and some maple, a little, ma little bit of maple to enhance the sweetener and some cayenne chili. So I wish I could share through the screen, but yeah. oh. <laughs> I'll taste a little bit the wine and let you know if I was right. <laughs> I too <laughs> wish you could share. <laughs> yeah. You have to come not that far away. You have to come down. We've got Zoom. It's on my list. The next thing is for us to develop the Star Trek uh, little beaming machine <laughs> for our foods. <laughs> yeah, that would be something. So. Uh, so I, I wanted to go back a little bit to Tanya mentioned one of the key elements in food pairing, which is contrast. So when you started mentioning the black eyed peas, um, I was thinking in terms of the, the acid in the Sauvignon Blanc, high contrast to the carb build uh, of black eyed peas and the like and the flavor profiles. Um, so contrast is a part of it. It's also balance. We, we, we don't pair, we don't pair really light wines with really heavy foods and vice versa. Um, so I thought maybe if you could elaborate a little bit more on that, Tanya, and then in terms of, of, you know, what types of soul food you think go with these two um, whites that we're looking at the Sauvignon Blanc and the Rosé. Yeah. Also texture. Um, I just had a, a bite of the collard, which is 
you know, it has a really strong flavor, a collard green. It's just very vegetal. Um, there's a vinegar in it, which is always hard to pair. But um, I also feel like the Sauvignon Blanc can stand up to that as well because of the, the fruit that's forward, you know, the sort of tropical fruit and, um, and the zest part. Yeah, and it really does. Hey. Oh, hey. I'm on, I'm on a Zoom. It's okay. Nice to see you. Tanya is in her restaurant while doing this. Yeah, I'm sitting at the bar because it's just easier to sit here. Um, yeah, so I think, um, yeah, I look at, you know, texture too. What's the mouthfeel that I want? Um, especially if, you know, I'm drink if I'm having something heavy, you know, like really one of the, my favorite pairings with a fried chicken is sparkling wine. Ooh, and I want to try the Moscato with a little bit of it. Um, cause I think that might be a good match too, because the chicken is so salty. I mean, not overly salty, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's fried chicken. So it has good flavor. It's very savory and, um, like, something that can lighten up your palate and sparkle always uh, works well with it. Um, I love that. I think also like our gumbo, for instance, is um, a chicken stock base with smoked chicken and, and shrimp. So I don't put any pork in this gumbo just because there were a lot of people who didn't want it. Uh, but it has okra, which again, that deep vegetal flavor, and then it has roux and uh, the... Um, the ground sassafras leaves, uh, sassafras leaves, phyllo um, powder, phyllo powder, sorry. And so that dish can go either red or white, depending on the person's palate and depending on their selection of white. So I think, um, you know, something that's, uh, again, have some structure like this particular Sauvignon Blanc, or you could go with um, a Chardonnay. And then, I mean, I think this rosé can go with almost anything. And then one of the reds. Also, if somebody's like, I only drink red wine, you know, there are people who really, they just like red wine. Um, and it can, you know, probably the, um, the red Grenache would be nice with that. So I'm, I'll try that later. <laughs> but there's options. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's food. It's, I think, you know, um, and there's always something that's going to pair with it. I love that. And I, I, you know, at wine dinners, I always find myself going back and forth between the wines because, you know, maybe if I'm at home, I'm only going to open up one bottle and I'll only try one. But at wine dinners or when you're out, you have yeah. the ability to try different wines and yeah. try it just with each course and see what it does or doesn't do. That's right. Yeah. So interesting. Great. Should we move on, Marcia, to the Grenache? I was going to say that's exactly where we should go. <laughs> And, and in talking about like, you know, trying wines with different foods, Grenache is a wine for me that I can enjoy. Um, like I enjoyed it last night with a little bit of salmon and it was fantastic where, you know, normally I might, you know, go with a white for Chardonnay. I mean, for um, salmon, but yeah. it was, it was really nice to, with a, some grilled salmon. Right. Well, and I think Grenache, I, I think Grenache right. does lend itself well to grilled food you know, that kind of char or broiled food or, you know, braised, you know, that kind of thing. So um, it'll be interesting to, to see what Tanya thinks. <laughs> Again, it's one of my favorite grape varietals. I, I love grown varietals. 
So. And this is certainly one of them. So while Tanya is tasting and everybody is uh, swirling, sipping, sniffing, tasting, uh, this is the 2016 Mathis Grenache. It is a field blend, um, as I mentioned before. So it is predominantly Grenache. Uh, but it also has uh, a little bit of uh, Petit Sarah and Cayenne, and uh, it's finished off by a tiny amount of Alicante Boucher. There's not a lot of Alicante Boucher that's grown around here. Uh, it's a Tinturier grape, meaning that uh, the juice runs red as well as the skin being red. There are too many of those. Um, and as Peter Mathis likes to say a lot of the time it, it helps with the lipstick on a pig look. So uh, a lot of the time we're looking to color up Grenache because sometimes Grenache by itself um, can look a lot lighter because it's relatively thin skin. Yeah. Um, as I said, Peter has a, a field blend of all four of these grapes in his Sonoma Valley vineyard. Uh, and, and he's focused on um, a Rhone-style um, uh, blend, the way that he makes this in his uh, fermentation process. It gets uh, no new oak. There is no new oak on this. Uh, he feels any new oak on this would uh, completely disguise uh, the natural expression of how this would come out of the vineyard. So that is why uh, he stays neutral on that. There are some people who do add oak, but Peter does not go that direction. And his favorite thing to say about Grenache is that it's a very joyful wine. Um, it is uh, full of all kinds of red fruit flavors, red cherry, plum, cranberry, uh, everything along those lines. And I certainly say that's one of the reasons Grenache is one of my favorite red wines is just because it's so cheery and it's so versatile. goes with just about everything. So uh, what's everybody getting on this 2016 vintage? Definitely cranberries and, you know, the dark stone fruits, um, but in a bright, fresh way for me. And, and some herbs, some eucalyptus maybe. Yeah, I, um, I also pick up a little bit of the herbs and a little pepper on the back and the last, the finish of it, which is really fun to pick up in a Grenache. I get a touch of licorice and maybe a little bit of anise on this as well. I get that as well. Yeah, that sort of light leather. Mm -hmm. mm, it's good. I'm trying to think of what types of Southern dishes that I would have this with, and actually there's several. I've had this with gumbo, um, and it's great because gumbo can be very tangy and it, and it can really use the, the fruit contrast, mm -hmm. um, which um, comes through really strongly. I don't know, what else would you think of, Tanya? Well, like I said, I don't put any pork in my gumbo, but this, this wine makes me want to have some andouille, you know, a nice spicy awesome. sausage, um, could be on the grill. Um, you know, you could choose to put it in your gumbo, but to have that like smokiness also, again, I think will really go well with a deep, dark fruit. Um, yeah, that I think really well. How did it stand up with the dish that you had on your plate? Because you had some smoked. Yeah, very well. Let me, let me just refresh my palate. You give, you give it a whirl. I'm sorry, I'm like rubbing <laughs> it. 
because so the smoky the smokiness I could see that do playing really well with um, with the Grenache. Yeah, it does go. The yams are smoked. It goes really well with the yams. Really good. And then the spice, also the cayenne that's in the yams. It just sort of like the wine helps kind of mellow it out. Yeah, it's good. Definitely, I think uh, the smokiness helps match with the tannins. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I was going to say, you know, this, like you said, um, a lot of Grenache is it's so light. If it has to be, it's nice when it's blended with something, you know, to give it a little bit more body. And I think that that helps a lot with this, um, standing up to my cuisine in particular, because some Grenache is like it's just it's really light, you know. And I wouldn't yeah. serve it with some of my heartier. I, I tend to, um, and I think soul food in general. Um, you know, is created with more of a bold flavor palette, you know, nothing, nothing really too subtle here. Right. <laughs> and Tanya, I did see as well that you have a cookbook. Yeah. Available. Yeah. And where can our listeners find that cookbook? Um, it, it, well, it's online on Amazon. There's a link at Chronicle Books. Um, and you could also, um, I think we have all the links on our website, but we don't ship from here. But if you came to get takeout, you can pick one up and I'll sign it for you. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Even better. Yeah. Even better. Lovely. All right. I, uh, I am pouring the St. Supere Cabin, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay. 2017, which I know Misty can tell us about. Yeah, definitely. Beautiful color. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so this Cabernet, so St. Supery, um, like I said, we are in the Napa Valley. We're in the Northeastern Hills. We have 500 acres of um, vineyard property, which is actually only a third of our total acreage. So we left, we leave two thirds in its natural state just to support better biodiversity. But with um, this Cabernet, this Cabernet is from both our Rutherford Estate Vineyard and our Dollarhide State Vineyard. And it is about 82% Cabernet Sauvignon. It has a little bit of Malbec at 6%, 5% Petit Verdot, 4% Merlot, and then 3% Cabernet Franc. And it is aged in 100% French oak with um, for 20 months. And of that 100% French oak, about 32% of it is brand new oak. Um, so this is just a really, really nice um, representation of Napa and what it has to offer and the potential that it can bring. And it is um, just a really fantastic wine that's available across the U.S. Um, there is a retail finder at stsupery.com. If you go to our wines, you can find out where this wine is sold close to you if you don't want to purchase it online. So a little bit of gumbo. I would say quintessential Napa Valley really yeah. in the glass. It's really, really a beautiful wine. Beautifully integrated. Yeah. I I, like it's all, you know, there isn't any, any one varietal that, that, you know, sticks out. You were mentioning what's in the blend, um, but it's all perfectly integrated. It just makes for a really lovely Cabernet blend, Cabernet dominant. 
And our winemaking team really, really strives for balance. So balance is so important to us and consistency, vintage over vintage. And, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of wines, I, I've, I noticed that we've, um, as an industry, sort of moved away from the really high alcohol content wines. But this wine is very approachable. You know, it's only 14.5% alcohol content so it's not it hasn't it's not overdone it's just really really nice beautiful no i agree i love um i prefer blends you know than a hundred percent of a varietal especially cab i feel like you need the merlot and the uh cab franc to really soften it um and this is perfectly blended and it some of the things you were saying about how your winemakers look at the wine, that's why I look at the food. You know, people come in and they immediately ask, is it too, how spicy is it? I'm like, it's balance. You know, I'm, it's not my goal to annihilate your palate. You know, this is, I'm really here, you know, to create balance. And, and also I tell my staff all the time, consistency is the name of the game, right? You got to be consistent with what you deliver. Um, people need to know that, you know, you really take care of your food and your product and what you present, right? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And quality is so important, you know, just in, you know, finding, like, I'm sure you're always sourcing the best product and the best vegetables to go in your dishes. But just like this wine, you know, we grow all of our own fruit at St. Supery and we're certified Napa green. And it's really, really hard to find um, a really fantastic bottle of Napa Valley Cabernet at a, a decent price these days. So um, we're excited that this wine is available at restaurants and on shelves nationwide. Great. Really delicious. So I'm trying both reds with the gumbo and they actually, they both pair. In, a, mm -hmm. in, a, um, in different ways, I would presume. Mm -hmm. So the Grenache definitely, it tastes even lighter next to the gumbo because the gumbo is so rich so it like it's really bright um and the uh the cab is really um yeah it's it's just really soothing with the gumbo it's 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 i would say it's the smoother of the pairings because of the richness of the gumbo you know with the uh the dark brew that's the flour and the oil and the baked out and such, um, such depth to it. Um, people don't understand, you know, what goes into, or a lot of people know, the gumbo. So, you know, we make our stock from scratch. We make it uh, overnight, so it's a really rich stock. Uh, separately, we make the roux, which is, you know, takes four to five hours of cooking out the flour and the oil until it's a, a really deep uh, brown, but not burnt. So you got to go really low and slow. Um, and then making the gumbo with, um, you know, as we put together the Trinity and saute it and then add the stock and then add the roux and let that cook out and then add the gum, uh, the okra and the smoked chicken. And then just before we serve it, we add the shrimp so it doesn't get too overcooked. And then we also add Creole spice and the filo, filet powder. Um, there's a lot of layers there. Um, but yeah, this, this cab really goes well with the gumbo. And, and wow. you're right, you know, we here in the Bay Area, we don't, we don't know what goes into gumbo. So we, you know, may have had it on a, because we were out, but, um, or traveling, but, uh, you know, it's not part of our 
culture here. So that's nice right. that we can actually um, try some great, great gumbo. It's not, and go. not fast food. <laughs> we don't have to travel to Louisiana to try it. That's right. <laughs> of course, if you do go to New Orleans or Shreveport or someplace else, you find that there's a, a huge variety of the way people prepare gumbo. Oh, no, I tell people all the time, my mom um, had, well, she, my mom is not with us anymore, but she has three sisters. Other gumbos are different. Um, it's just became, you know, personal preference. Uh, one of my aunts loves oysters in her gumbo and one doesn't like okra, you know, and uh, the gumbo I make is not like my mom's. She didn't make a roux. Uh, so it just becomes, you know, kind of a personal preference. And um, yeah, there, there's so many different kinds of gumbo. Uh, Does the the roux stem from your uh, French culinary training? Yeah, and, and other, you know, chefs I've worked for and books I've read. Um, you know, I just was, when I first opened the restaurant, I was kind of playing around with the recipe. And I did start with andouille in the beginning. And then um, I just had, you know, people who didn't want to eat the pork. And so because I had a smoker, we started smoking the chicken and that gives it that same like sort of, you know, that's the smoky sausagey flavor, but it's actually from the smoked chicken. Um, so, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting that you could, you know, make, make that shift uh, and yeah, still well, get similar effects. Yeah, and you know, being in California, I, I, I always tell people it's really influenced my cooking um, because they're, you know, we're here so close to so many sources of our ingredients and you really get to know your farmers and your growers and your vendors. And, and then the, um, the palate's different. And, you know, when I first moved out here, I'm like, oh, I, even though I'm on the West Coast, I feel closer to Europe than I did on the East Coast because, and I think that's because of the wine country culture, you know, that people really are, um, they want wine with their food. And so, you know, the food has to be a certain way to pair with the wine and, um, you know, and quality is, is, you know, is the king. It's just, you've got to have a quality ingredient. Yes, you do. Very important, very important starting point for all of these. Mm -hmm. To me, it's very interesting to compare these two reds, which isn't really very fair because one's Grenache and one's yeah. Cabernet Sauvignon. <laughs> one's Sonoma Valley, one's Napa Valley. Um, it's very different, but I'm curious, uh, Lisa and Misty, um, doing them side by side, what are some of the differences that you're getting? Yeah, I really like trying both of these side by side. Um, it was really fun. Um, the mouthfeel and sort of the viscosity in both of the wines was very different. So it was fun to pick that up as well as the, the tannin structure and the, um, the really, like one of them, I mean, they're both so enjoyable, but, but really different. And, and I, I like doing that. I would also really like to try this Grenache on a hot summer day and put it in the, pop it in the fridge and serve it a tad chilled. And I think that would be um, a really nice treat as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And they both have structure, but I, I think, um, and they're, and they're both lovely. I mean, when I went back to the Grenache, I'm getting just like fresh cherries in the nose, just like cherry bomb. It just seems like it's really opening up. But I think in terms of the viscosity, I think there's a lot of silkiness with this Cabernet, and it's it just it just flows, you know, in terms of the mouthfeel. It's, it's really, really, really nice. Yeah, the Cab is drinking really beautifully, but I also feel like 
a couple more years and it's just going to be even better, you know. I'd love to try this vintage in a couple years and see what it's like. Yeah, yeah exactly. Even though, you know, it's a 20, it's a 2017, uh, it's still, it, it's still tasting, it's, you know, it's ready to go now, but you can tell with the structure, uh, another two years, another five years, uh, could be really fascinating with that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, and I get that the Grenache might do the same thing in another five years, it might be very different. Um, I'm guessing that the tannins will soften a little bit more on the Grenache uh, and um, more of the acid will be a little bit more integrated uh, on the Grenache as well. So they're both different but fascinating in their development. I also love, Marsha, that with the Grenache, I pick up a lot of red plum. And then with the Cabernet, I get your dark, deep black plum yes. flavor. So I really like being able to taste that same fruit across both wines, but a different type of, um, different, different type of plum. Yeah, it's like, I've mentioned this before because they're in season, but I get pluot, you know, because that's got that tart freshness versus the real ripe, almost, you know, baked plum. And I mean that in a positive way, not a negative way. <laughs> Mm, delicious. Yeah, and it's fun to try Sonoma and Napa side by side as well, even though they're not the same varietal. Yep, exactly. So Tanya, I'm a little curious. We, uh, we've talked about all these wines and, and um, in the starting of your podcast in its first season right now. Um, I'm curious if you had to turn around to your younger self and say... Here's the things I would advise you to do. Anything, anything different that you would tell your younger self or keep your eye out for this? Um, oh my God, like a thousand things. <laughs> <laughs> God, wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, <laughs> well, <clears throat> so many. I mean, I was fortunate to do, you know, well, I went to, Europe for the first time when I was 20 and I moved there for cooking school 26 but I, I wish I'd even spent more time traveling you know in my 20s and just even though I did make a lot of sacrifices in terms of um, you know not really building a nest egg and just reinvesting in myself through experiences and you know working for for less because it's where I wanted to work I still wish that I'd even you know, taking more risk and just traveled more because that's just the most enlightening experience ever. Um, you know, I really wanted to go spend time in Italy when I left France and I didn't get into one program and so I just let it go. And, you know, I wish I had pursued that more. But then at the same time, I, I got other experiences that were amazing. Um, you know, it's yeah it's, it's hard to say there's just so much that I wanted to learn and when I worked at places where they weren't going to teach me what I wanted to learn um I just kind of had to move on to find you know places but uh even though I was very persistent I still wish I was a little bit more persistent to find a woman you know mentor and entrepreneur to work for um, 
and a lot of them were out here in California. But by the time I got out here, I sort of wasn't in, in the mood to work for anyone. <laughs> so I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm just like, yeah, I don't. <clears throat> I was feeling a little bit beyond that, but yeah, I just think you know, people have to just you just have to go for it and find the people whose you know careers you admire and try to get in the door with them and you know work with them or speak or have a meeting or something. And I mean, I've done that. I don't really have any regrets. Um, you know, it it just be it would have been nice if things were different in our industry. You know, it's just as you know, same in the wine business. Um, we're still opening doors and raising ceilings. Yeah, and that was so great, brave and inspirational um, and almost ahead of your time because I'm seeing a lot of those same work-life, um, personal value, balance decisions that are having to be made. And I'm seeing that the millennial generation has really, really embraced that and are really staying true to their values. Whereas, you know, my Gen X... Um, generation you know we really didn't and we we sort of held back and we compromised yeah we did compromise a lot so it is exciting to see that that next the next two few generations and how they're really embracing that yeah yeah I mean, one of the things that oh, go, go ahead tanya well i was just going to mention one of the things that you had said earlier that i learned from is that you built your network by being in a lot of places where I think a lot of times people get the advice that they should stay in one place and build their network. And I love it when you were saying that I was getting this visual of your network, like all over the country and the world based upon your willingness to risk things and just take a chance. And I think that's interesting advice, especially now when speaking about traveling where it's not so easy to travel. So I think when, when the opportunity is there, people needed to take the dive. Yeah, and, you know, with all this, um, you know, all the, uh, the way we can access people through technology now, too, it, it's actually made it easier to expand um, your network, you know, I, certainly mine, or to stay in touch with people. Um, no, I was just going to make a comment about, you know, um, what you were saying about uh, what Missy was saying about, um, you know, this new generation and what they're doing. Again, it's back to what I think I experienced in Europe was where I was so amazed when I got there. You know, I was like, oh, people take time for people here, you know? And it seems so simple, but I think we have to get back to that. We have to take time for ourselves. We have to take time for, you know, our relationships, uh, you know, work relationships, social relationships, and really connect. And I think what COVID, all this like shelter in place has shown us is how important it is to connect. and not to take that for granted. And um, I'm just hoping that this will show people the value of our industry and what we provide, you know, as outlets for people uh, to connect. And um, yeah, just, you know, want to build on that. And more people just slowing it down in wine country. <laughs> yeah. And even though we haven't been able to go out to eat as much as we would like, you know, the supporting sort of the takeout business and trying to make things at home has been really, really fun. Yeah. I know there's been a whole revolution on people, you know, making their own breads and, yeah. you know, sort of the, the back to basics. So now yeah. we can try some of your recipes at home with your cookbook and, yeah. And support, support the people who are there, like, doing the takeout and, 
you know, I had the good fortune of um, eating out in the garden at the French Laundry for my birthday this summer. And um, last weekend, A16, they have a six to eight week pop-up in Mendocino. So it was, it was stunning. I went this weekend, um, you know, get up there and support. We're just trying to pivot and hustle as everybody is, you know, drink lots of wine <laughs> and um, order. I'm, I'm doing more of, um, you know, I increase my wine club membership because, you know, I want everybody to stay in business and, um, you know, it's a sacrifice yeah. I'm willing to make. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Tanya, we want to thank you for your time. It's been um, really terrific to learn from you and hear about all your ideas and what's happening with Brown Sugar Kitchen, with your brand new podcast, Tanya's Table. Um, for our listeners, there's a multiple touch points that you can go to. First of all, you can simply Google Tanya's Table Podcast because it is available on all of your favorite platforms from Spotify to Apple to Google or, you know, you'll find it in all those different places so that you can add it to your playlist and make sure that you're subscribed so that as new shows drop, you can discuss. Uh, also, uh, if you're interested in either dining outside or getting some takeout or delivery from Brown Sugar Kitchen, you can go to brownsugarkitchen.com uh, to get that as well. Uh, of course, that keeps in mind brown sugar, you can't exactly get delivery on the other side of the country, but you get the gist of it. Um, you can also go to tanyaholland.com. Uh, to learn more about Tanya, what, what all she's been doing and has planned and in, in the works. Um, lots of opportunities there. And your best bet is probably to stick with the podcast uh, to stay current, which is really terrific. For the wines, go to saintsuperi.com for the Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, we didn't even get to the Moscato. We just tried it. It's delicious. You know, this is one of the first, like, what I want to call exotic grape varietals that I tried when I was working in a wine shop. And so it's bringing back a lot of memories. Really delicious. We don't got to get mine. That is great. So at St. Supri, this is 100%. I'll give a quick and quick version. This is 100% Muscat Canali grapes. And um, we, an interesting story, our founders actually planted this grapes on these grapes on our property in Napa um, over about three decades ago. And they planted them because their children love to eat the Moscato grapes because, <laughs> or the Muscat Canali, because they're so sweet. And yeah. so uh, it's been a staple in our lineup. And it is, you know, a lot of people, you know, may have started drinking Moscato, but this is, um, you know, definitely something that I encourage um, everyone to try because it's it is great with blue cheese it's great with appetizers but then it's also great um, some people drink it all the way through their meal um, I like it with appetizers and desserts it's one of my favorite with stone fruit this is going to go well with my spicy baked chicken wings with smoked blue cheese dressing on the side yeah. so we, like I this is it. <laughs> That's, that is another great point. Um, spicy foods, like spicy foods um, and Moscato. It's like a match made in heaven. Yeah. Yep. But especially with the blue cheese dip that we serve it with. I mean, this is perfect. Oh, yum. That absolutely sounds delicious. And this is so incredibly aromatic. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's like a bouquet. That, I mean, and, and I, I mean like a floral bouquet not just like the traditional wine bouquet but it doesn't beautiful it doesn't that cloying finish which is really great it really kind of lifts at the end um 
so it's really nice. Yeah. Not sweet. People like not overly sweet. People will say, "Oh my gosh, I don't drink Moscato. I don't drink syrup. Drink don't drink that those sugary wines." It's it's. I mean, it's approachable. It's not syrupy. It's fantastic. Wow. That is something else. I was also thinking this probably goes nicely with your yams, Tanya. I think you you're right there. Again, it's the spice, the heat, the smoke. It would go lovely with the the yams. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking big, big, big season, big season right now with the blue yeah. cheese and yeah. like smoky pancetta or something on top. Be really Wonderful good. Stuff. All right, ladies, we've come to the end of our hour. It's been really great talking and sharing these wines with all of you. Uh, Chef Tanya Holland, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. We know you're very busy. Was really really appreciate your time. I want time. to encourage everybody to check out tanyaholland.com would be the fastest way for you to learn more. Um, we already said the wines at saintsuperi.com and also for the Grenache and the Rosé de Grenache, mathiswine.com. Uh, ladies, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And listeners, thank you for your time tuning in today for Wine Women Radio. We're going to have another episode next week. Uh, so be with us again then, and uh, until then, enjoy all your lovely wines. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Thank Bye -bye. you. Thanks. Thank you.